Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblin. He is preaching from 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. A couple of housekeeping items beforehand. I would just like to say that the best costume so far has to be Yuji's costume. Yuji, could you face everybody? Show them. Look at that Georgia Bulldog shirt. You guys don't understand. Yuji went to Florida. It's a horrible school. Georgia is the superior team that won yesterday. Yuji, I had a little bet and I am not wearing a Florida shirt right now. So there's my praise report. <laughs> uh, right now, the, the students are getting handbags. And then the handbag students, just so you guys know, is a little worksheet that I worked up for you. There's some questions on there based upon the sermon. We want to continue catechizing and giving you liturgy and giving you knowledge. So if you want to do that, there's some questions for you. Also, I want to let you know, if you haven't been with us before, we're continuing on our John series. Now, one of the things that I do after service is I'll stay up here. We've got a lot going on today, fellowship lunch, as well as the women's gathering. I'll stay up here until the lunch begins. If you have any questions based upon the scripture or the sermon, please come up and ask me. I'd love to answer anything that I can. And as we continue on the series of 1 John today, we started two weeks ago and we had our praise and prayer service last week, which was a beautiful time of thanking God for what he has done and praying for our community groups ongoing this year. What we understood from the letter and what we heard in today's reading was this. Joy is the goal of John. That the church that receives it as well as for us today is that you and I may have joy that is above circumstance. Two weeks ago we talked about how the only way to have joy in all circumstance, that's outside of circumstance. That is not situational, but is intrinsic to our lives. The only way is if something is guaranteed to us, something has already been done, something is possessed by us, and that is faith, that is Christ on the cross that's been given to us. It's the second half of the gospel message. The first half is, I'm far more broken than I ever thought possible. The second is this, I'm far more accepted by Christ who had a final declaration on the cross for you and I. Today, we move on on how we know this more how we come to understand this truth. I'm going to say truth. And instantly, when I say the word truth, many of you might, there's a phrase going around that I, I haven't found the, the, the genesis of this phrase. Maybe somebody else can me. But when we say, well, what's my truth? Or what's your truth? What we're actually going to discover today from John and from the understanding of the gospel is that Jesus Christ does not ask you, what is your truth? And he doesn't even say, what is my truth? He says, Here is truth. Now, when I say that, a conversation is going to pick up. And if I asked you over and over and over, how do you arrive at truth? How do we understand truth? Uh, Many of us, maybe like 10%, maybe 5% would actually enjoy that conversation. We would stay for several hours and we'd talk about it. And the rest of you would run out the door to lunch. You're like, I have no business discussing this. I want to ask you to come into an understanding of what the conversation means to arrive at truth, arrive at knowledge, arrive at an understanding that this joy cannot be taken from you and I, and that regardless of circumstance, we can be joyful. 
And when I talk about this, when I talk about knowledge of Christ, I want to I give you something. I want to gift you an understanding. It is not left brain versus right brain. It is not your truth versus my truth. It is not the more intellectual knowledge you come to of Christ, the more that, you, the more that you'll see him as lovely. Actually, what I want to tell you today is that knowledge of God. We prayed before service, going through Psalms 147, and, and the sixth verse of that psalm says that God is immeasurable, essentially. You cannot measure him. You cannot, you cannot quantify him. And yet, we are to know him. You should be asking yourself, how in the world do you know something that's unknowable? How in the world can I know something? Somebody, some person, some God that is, he declares himself is unknowable. Ah, glad you asked. Today I want to show you that knowledge is free, it's artistic, and it's closed. So I want to tell you that truth, knowledge, coming to relate more to God is free, it's artistic, and it's closed. Because to know God is to comprehend his greatness. To know God is to comprehend his greatness. First, knowledge is free. This coming to understand so that our joy may be complete. The way to get that joy is by knowing God. And that knowledge is free. Uh, John is writing this, this letter has an occasion. He's writing to a bunch of people in Asia Minor that have started off either as new Christians or, or, or like the video said, recently heard his message. And what's happening in the church is there was many, many people coming into it or from amongst the ranks that were beginning to say things, and maybe you've experienced this in your life. They were beginning to struggle by saying, you know, I, I've been a Christian long enough. I, I, I actually, I'm really special. I'm really knowledgeable. I know the secret truths to God's wisdom. Have you guys been there in your life? Has there been a guru or a shaman within the Christian faith that said, if you listen to me, if you follow me, if you know me and my ways, I am better than all the other ways. I know the secret truths of scripture and of God. See, uh, that was the problem that was happening in Asia Minor that John was helping to come against. The passages that we read, verses one through four, say, we have proclaimed and we have seen, we have proclaimed and we have seen, and, and he repeats himself over and over and over. And in doing so, he's reminding the church in Asia Minor that there's a tendency within faithful traditions. There's a tendency to say, my truth is, and we put in whatever we want. Uh, I was expressing to the staff this week, we as a church pray in one voice, um, and I wanted to encourage them. I often don't pray in one voice with that time because I grew up Presbyterian. And if you know anything about the Presbyterian church, you don't emote. There's just, you, you sing the hymn, you close the hymnal book, you put it down, you sit down. Uh, one time, as a matter of fact, in church, I was leading worship and at a practice rehearsal, I walked in with a hat on and I almost died. Uh, I don't know her name. Praise God that he's blocked that from my memory. But there was an accusation of sin that I would wear a hat in God's house of worship. Now, it would be wrong. It would be above and beyond to add anything on top of faith that Christ himself did not expressly, expressly say. That the Bible, that the word of God, that his people have not held in perpetuity, since the inception of faith, 
from Christ. See, that's what's different about Christianity compared to other traditions and other faiths of the world, is that Christ has said, no one comes to the Father except through me, and let me give you the way to come to the Father. See, most traditions, most spirituality says, God is so unknowable, he's so unreachable, we can't understand him. He's immeasurable. They agree with Psalms in that regard. He can't be measured. He's endless. He's be- Where can you put your finger on God? And many times, uh, if you've heard the example of the elephant and touching different parts, if blind men were around an elephant and start touching different parts of the elephant, you touch the trunk or the ear or the leg, and you'd all have a different understanding. It's a big leaf, this ear. It's a big hose, this trunk. It's a, it's a very, very thick tree, this leg. Well, there's something intrinsically wrong with that understanding, because there's a person who is seeing things who's observing this. And we constantly put ourselves in that place of the person who could see the elephant. We're not blind. How dare you suggest that I'm blind? I'm, I'm the one who sees it all. I'm trying to educate you. You're the blind one. And what John says, what Christ says, is anybody that says, you're the blind one and I'm the special one that can see all things, You've just put yourself in God's place. Because Christ himself says, I'm the only one that sees everything. See, most faiths, most traditions, God is so unknowable that we get bits and pieces. And there's special people that get revealed special revelation from God. And let's listen to them. Let's learn from them. Actually, what Christ says is, God is completely unknowledgeable. You can't know him. And yet, let me come to you to show you God incarnate. See, that's, we're going to get to this later on. This is going to be in the third point. But when Jesus says, I am God incarnate, he's doing something that no other tradition, no other faith, no other spirituality says. Yes, God is above and beyond eternal and immeasurable, but you can see him in me because I am God. This is wild. This is radical. This is the joy that makes it complete when we see God becoming man, not man becoming God. And that's the heresy that John's writing against. If you believe that man can become God, the one who sees all as the blind people are just groping in the dark, if you think that's you, can I, can I gently encourage you, church? You think far too highly of yourself. If you think you're the one on the outside knowing it's an elephant and all these other silly people are running around just groping in the dark, I think you think too highly of yourself. That is where heresy creeps in. Now, how does that creep into the church? Let me give you a couple examples. Have you ever heard somebody say to you, God will grant you what you pray for if you have a pure heart and you confess? Have you been taught that heresy in your life? Have you been taught that the holier people can receive greater blessings from God because of their holiness? This is the easiest way for me to disrupt that lie and that heresy. His name is Job and his entire book of the Bible. Job is literally called the most righteous man that God knows, and he has everything taken from him. Why? We'll actually get there in January. We're going to talk about that. So, cliffhanger. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the answer right now. 
But if we think, based upon your holiness, based upon your prayer, based upon your sinlessness, you get blessing, the Bible tells you, absolutely not. That's a heresy. If you've heard that in your life, if you've heard that in church, disbelieve it. The second way that it creeps in is this. Well, yes, we, there are people who can know God, who can see God, who can understand God. But it takes, it takes those of us who are specially trained to really understand it, to really get it. Basically, me with the title of pastor, I'm better than you. Now, this is a heresy cuts two ways. When you place anybody up on the standard of Christ, when you think there's anybody who comes in between you and God, and you must channel it through them. It has to be. It's a requirement to get God through them. That person is Christ alone. I get the joy and the blessing of pastoring and being with God's people. But church, there is no such thing as a professional Christian. And there is no such thing as my ability being better than your ability. I simply have more time and a calling to an office. There it is. My prayers are the same as your prayers. My sin, the same as your sin. As a matter of fact, we were uh, with uh, somebody's community group on Friday, the Southside community group, uh, which was a blessed time. Breaded steak sandwich, y'all? That hits. That's a thing, right? My gosh. I had five. <laughs> it was so much. We were sitting at a table and my son was there and my oldest son was sitting at the table with us and somebody leans over to him and says, hey Hudson, could you tell us something about your dad that we don't know? And I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> Buckle in. See, and, and what he told them was some funny stories about me and some embarrassing stories about me. And if we think that there are holier than thou people amongst us, church, that's a heresy. Don't believe it. As a matter of fact, as scripture says, if anybody comes to you preaching a gospel message that's different than the one that the apostles and Christ preaches, disbelieve them. So if anybody adds anything onto you to get to God that God himself did not say, disbelieve it. Because it's a lie. It's a heresy. It's false. Christ became man and dwelt among us to show us that, to encourage us, to promote this understanding that, yes, he is an unknowable, unmeasurable, unattainable God, and yet, let me show you the ways to attain him, and yet, let me show you the ways that you can interact with him. Uh, there's this older movie that Matt Damon starred in called Elysium. Elysium is this great, great movie about this world that's dystopic. The earth has has gone sideways and it is just a desert wasteland. But what's happened within this world is that there are those special, great, glorious people that have made technology that basically you get into a chamber, you hit a button, and all your health problems are eradicated. They're gone. It's this magic bullet. It's, it's what the world's been begging for for years and years and years. But here's a problem with this very, 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 very expensive and very technologically advanced system. Only certain people get to have it. Only the upper crust of society. So they make this ring that orbits above Earth called Elysium. 
And what Matt Damon's character does is he gets on this exoskeleton and he goes up to Elysium and he fights through countless, countless people to get the chambers and throw them back to earth so all of the lesser people can receive health. That's what Christ did for you and I. It is not for the upper crust. It's not for the intelligista. It's not for the morally upright church. Intellect, morals, character, there is nothing that prohibits you from becoming knowledgeable of Christ. How do I know? Because he came to us instead of demanding we come to him. He made himself know so that everybody in full spectacle in front of all history could know this is Christ. This is him. This is what, the Ro this is, this is what Roman history writes about. This man that was crucified, these Christians that were very, very bizarre people. Full display so that nobody can say, no, 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 it takes intelligence or morals or character to really ascend to God. It doesn't. I'm going to give you one more. As Evelyn talked about, uh, the blessing that the women's ministry here is at COTB. One of the things that I love talking about, this freedom of knowledge, this accessibility that we have to an unknowable God. I'm going to talk about this at Easter again because it's one of my favorite aspects of the Easter story. This comes from uh, Dr. Keller at Presbyterian, uh, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church who got it from his mentor, Edmund Clowney. It's this very, very unique aspect of the Easter story when Christ's resurrected body, the stone is rolled away and, and he presents himself, the first person he presents himself to is a woman. Now we read that today in our sensibilities and we say, great, what's the point? What, what's going on here? What he is trying to say, how he ex expressed himself to a woman for the first time shows us the accessibility and the freedom to all because Roman civilization did not think of women highly at all. They were second-rate at best citizens, and that's if you had money and a title and an estate to go with it, and you were married to somebody powerful. Then you had rights. And what Christ says is when he expresses himself fully, in full revelation, in full resurrection body to a woman. And then she goes and she tells the apostles. What he is doing in there is twofold. One, he is saying, it's free to all. Even to those of you in society that think these people are less than you. She gets to see me first. It's an honor and a privilege. The second thing he is doing is he's bringing validity to how expressive his truth is. He's bringing actually validity to his word, to the Bible, to Christian faith. Because if you wanted to fabricate a story of truth-telling, if you wanted a good witness on the stand to talk about how true you were, Roman society wouldn't have picked a woman to do so. They would have gone to the governor, a high political figure. They would have had him come to the tomb, and then he would have said, yes, it's true, I saw him. And everybody would have been like, well, that's true. I can't fight that. But when it's a woman who comes out and then goes and tells the apostles, everybody goes, we can't trust her. Her testimony isn't valid. Do you see what Christ has done there? By choosing to show himself to a woman first, he is showcasing, one, it is free to all and accessible to all. Don't you dare put limitations on it. And secondly, it brings validity to his church. Last point I, I, I want to express to you. Let me continue on how this truth validity, how this expressiveness of freedom translated to action within the early church. 65% of the early church were female. 
Now, I think the church gets a bad rap today because the church is seen as a place that's not a safe spot for women. And if that's your experience, I can't apologize for that on behalf of others, but I can say it's not true of Christ and his church. How do I know? How do I know? In a day and age in which Roman society did not look favorably upon women, any woman that wasn't esteemed and high in society, that wasn't married to somebody else who had power, she could be taken by any other man that was a citizen and had relations with. That's how lowly they thought of them. 65% of the church were women, meaning this. You, it must mean this. They thought this was a safe enough spot where they would be treated as equals. And they were. And they should be and they are. Do you see how freedom and accessibility of Christ incarnating changed reality for people? And do you see the, the, the lie? Oh, no, no, there's, there's certain people more special. Destroys that? It's free and accessible. Do not believe the heresy, the lie. Because if you think that it has to be by special revelation, what will happen in your life is you won't be special enough to know who God is and your joy will be taken from you, church. To have joy, the gift is already given. That's the first point. The second point is this, knowledge is art. Now, this one is a little harder to get to. I said at the beginning, it's not your truth or my truth. And you said, okay, so there's, there's one standardization of truth. And I say, yes, comma, <laughs> knowledge is art. What do I mean by art? What do, I, what do I mean by there's this huge disagreement in the world of what is truth and how do we know things? Uh, right now, this, this is how I know that, that knowledge and truth is being understood very wildly from all different people. Uh, it used to be, weren't, weren't we taught? Now, undergrad students, you get to excel right here. You get to take this philosophy 101 and apply it. Aristotle, Plato, uh, Plato Hume, all of these people go, oh, yes, I remember this. I remember that from last week. I could tell you how Hume made, a, made an argument for knowledge or, 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 or Plato or Aristotle. Here's their systems. Here's their beliefs. That's fine and good. And they can say, here's my opinion. Here's my, my truth on that. That used to be the way that we came to understand knowledge, right? Now it's TikTok shorts by millions and millions of people who have followers, influencers, celebrities. I know what you think or, or how you're informed by the YouTube channels you subscribe to or the TikToks you subscribe to. And all of a sudden, if somebody else says, well, here's how I got to where I am, I must admit, I... I'm not on social media, but every so often I'm able to like circumvent the process and find these little clips because people send them to me. There's just one guy who goes around with a camera and goes to uh, men and women who own Maseratis or Ferraris or whatnot, and they say, what do you do for a living? I, basically, I want to have what you have. Tell me, person with a lot of money that has a Maserati. By the way, they just probably took out a loan and defrauded somebody for it. I don't know. Like, Anyway, I said, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm a real estate developer, or I'm this, or I'm that. And, and all of a sudden they go, ah, see, if you want the good life, do this job. That's my truth. And the reality is that that's not straight knowledge. That's, that's like saying, well, those who work hard get good things. Have you guys ever been to a third world country? 
One day. One day, maybe. If you were to think only hardworking people get a lot of money, get a good life, you haven't been to parts of the world in which there are very, very dedicated, hardworking people that have no ability to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and make a life for themselves, that work 12-hour shifts for pennies. See, we want to say, oh, I know truth. Here, here's truth. It's one-to-one. -one. It's an empirical understanding. It's intrinsic. No, 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 church. Knowledge is art. How we know truths. There is truth. There is understanding. There is black and white. However, with that, we engage with it artistically. Uh, by the way, this would be a fantastic conversation at Thanksgiving coming up for you guys to hold with all your in-laws or soon-to-be in-laws. Total lie. Don't do that. Don't ask them, hey, where do you get your news from? <laughs> Don't do that, please. But who do you listen to for your news? Who do you listen to for your influence? Who do you listen to for your truth? Now, this divided camp that we're in, this, this understanding of the world of how do we come to understand black and white may work, I say may, work in your world, may work in your reality. Maybe some of you are in the legal system and, and how you argue a case gets you a, a win, gets you a success. Some of you are in the medical field and you say, no, 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 there's, there's a right way to do surgery, a wrong way to do surgery. That all may work. But aren't there cases in which a perfect argument is given to a jury and they come back with a verdict that's different than what truth should dictate? And don't you understand that there's things in medicine that you do apply appropriately and the outcome's different from what you expected? See, we want to say there's black and white, and the reality is, of it is, if God is unknowable to us, he sent his son to expose free choice, free understanding, free access to his knowledge. The problem is not in that truth. The problem is in our interaction with that truth. And that's where it becomes artistic. That's where it becomes an understanding that changes us. And we must adapt to his knowledge. We can't go finding knowledge for ourselves because our truth is not black and white truth. Our church, our, our truth is situational, circumstantial. I'll, I'll try to prove this. I'll try to hit home with you. Um, for those of us who uh, have children or who are over the age of 40 or close to that age, is there something that you thought of when you were a child that if you held the same thought today would be embarrassing? Uh, we shared at um, Elder in training meeting one time kind of some embarrassing things like that. I shared a very, very, very embarrassing time when I was preaching a sermon, and I, sh I said a phrase that was utterly racist in tone. I'm not going to repeat it now because I've, I've learned, and I didn't know at that time, and somebody had to point out to me, hey, that phrase that you're using is completely, completely racist. And I said, I had no idea. They're like, I know you had no idea because you wouldn't have said it. <laughs> And I go, thank, thank you, God, that you've showed me that. And they said, great, no problem. See, when we talk about knowledge being an art and being revealed of who Christ is, what we must understand is this is not like a, a periodic element. This is not like the boiling point or the melting point of aluminum. That, I can repeat that over and over and over again, and I can get a result. When it hits a certain amount, it melts. That's scientific. That's 
That's intrinsic. This is, this is aluminum. This is how it behaves. But do you know what's different about Christ? You know, it's wildly different about Christ. People want to say, well, prove to me that God exists. Do you know how I answer them every single time? I say, I can't. And they go, you're a horrible pastor. <laughs> you can't prove to me. Like, doesn't, isn't that your job to prove to me that God exists? And my answer is, no. It's not my job to prove to you that God exists. Do you know why I can't do that? Why I can't prove to you that Jesus Christ was the son of man who came and died for us? And I, I can believe that. I can get really close. I can show you evidence and history, all of it. I can't repeat that. I can't ask Jesus to come again to live amongst us, to die and raise again from the dead. That's called a science experiment. You find certain uh, frameworks, you repeat it over and over and over, you get a result that's scientific, that's knowledge. God is outside of that because his death of his son was once and for all, for all of history, all of humanity, in all times. And it's only the one death. Why do I say knowledge is art? Because no one in the history of the church has ever been argued into faith, not once, including you. You may have been exposed to certain things. You may have been shown certain evidence. But look at John's words again. John says, that which we have proclaimed, that which we saw, that which we heard. If you need to be proven the validity of Christ, and if you need to be shown, if you said... Maybe you said this, well, if only God would speak to me, if only God would speak to my uncle or my aunt or my brother or my sister, they would believe. John, the author of this letter, says in the gospel account that he wrote, says in John 12, 37, Christ performed many miracles in front of people. They didn't believe. They refused. These people saw the lame be healed, the blind catch sight. They saw this in front of them and they said, nah, that's not true. This, this is some magician. This is some, some hoax. Church, no one has ever, ever, ever in the history of all humanity been convinced by evidentiary understanding and argued into faith. That's why it's artistic because it's a living God. Because it's a God that challenges us. It's a God that, ch that changes us. It's a God that comes up against us and refuses to be molded into our understanding. And to be able to comprehend that, to be able to understand that, it's art. It's not a science. Submitting to him is not science. It's art. Here's the last example I'll give you to maybe understand how Knowledge of a, of a truth becomes art. Um, my back is a wreck. I have a horrible spine. All of y'all tell me to go to the chiropractor and acupuncture, and it's just, it's bad. I had cupping done for the first time on it. That was a wild experience. I loved every moment of it. Now, I know my back is very messed up. I know I have back problems. I know that, right? Do you know what happens every three months to my back? <laughs> it goes out. Do you know what happens every three months in my life? I spend an entire week having to go to, to medical professionals to help get my back in alignment, to stop spasming of my muscles. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that I know what I need to do in order not to allow that to happen? Of course I do. 
get more sleep, don't do Olympic lifts at the gym, walk more, trying not to have stress in your back and hunch over on a keyboard. I know all of these things. If you were to tell me them, I'd be like, I know, I know, I know. Let me ask you a second question. Do I actually know? Because if I did, do you know what I would do the three months leading up to my back going out? I would get, I would go to a yoga class. I would get more sleep. I would go for walks much more. See, within the Christian faith, we can know that God exists. We can do all that. But here's the question to you. Without a changed life, do you actually know it? Without you taking the truth of that he is king and he is God and he became man and was flesh dwelling amongst us, you can know all of that and you could say you believe all of it and you could proclaim it. Is your life changed? Because if your life is not changed, you don't know it. You simply agree to truths that are out there. Much like me agreeing to truth that my back needs help and then refusing to change my behaviors. I don't know anything. <laughs> to know God, to know the knowledge of him is a sense of art in our lives that changes us. And we change with him. Last point is this, knowledge is closed. Now, wait a second. First point is knowledge is free and open and accessible. Now you're saying it's closed, Pastor? You have some explaining to do. Let me do so. See, what John is saying here, what we have proclaimed and what we have seen, we proclaim unto you. What we have heard, we proclaim to you. It's open to everybody. It's accessible to everybody. There's no special revelation amongst God's people. That person is Christ Almighty. And he brings that to you and I, and we must interact in ways to, to know that, to feel that in our bones, to have that infiltrate our entire lives. But the fact of the matter is this. Christ has closed knowledge of who he is, and there's no other way to look at it. Uh, if I was to ask you to go to your friends at Thanksgiving or your family at Thanksgiving and be like, hey, who do you think Jesus is? Some of you, that might be an engaging conversation. Many of us, it would not be. If you were to ask your coworkers your neighbors. Who do, you, who do you say Jesus is? Jesus actually did this to his apostles. A very famous passage. He went to them and said, who do you say that I am? Who do others say that I am? And they said, well, some say that you're a prophet of old. Some say you're a miracle worker. And Jesus goes, okay, that's great. I, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a miracle worker. I'm not a good moral teacher. Isn't that what you hear a lot today? I like this Jesus guy. He teaches a lot of good things. He says, I'm not those things. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a miracle worker. I'm not a moral teacher. He ups the ante. He says, I am God incarnate. Now, here's where I want to challenge you, church, to the closed system of God's revelation, that he gives us his understanding. We don't invent understanding. We, we follow his understanding. Because there's two choices you have with Jesus. He's either God or he's a raving lunatic, and you can't have it both ways. Because what he says is crazy. He says, I am God incarnate. My death pays for the sins of all eternity, of all people at all times. Do you know what we would do to somebody if they said that today? Do we understand that 
if God is true in his statements, he must be worshipped as king. And if he's a liar, he should have been killed. Do we understand that? There's no middle ground. There's no way to understand Jesus. I'm going to take his moral teaching. That's like saying, Stalin had some pretty good things to say, y'all. I'm going to take these aspects of his personal life. No. Those aspects of his personal life led to the slaughter of millions of his own people. If you think Jesus is God Almighty, then everything he says needs to be obeyed. If not, nothing he says should be obeyed. Do you see the difference? Do you see that understanding? Now, this is what John was trying to get to. That what we have heard from the beginning, in his gospel account, he says, in the beginning, there was the light, the light became flesh and dwelt among us. He says this over, it's a reoccurring theme with John. Meaning this, you don't add to Jesus' gospel. You don't take it away either. He doesn't need an editor-in-chief. Do you get the sense sometimes that if you're a Christian, if you're amongst us and you believe and understand this Jesus and you understand his gospel, do you think sometimes you have to make his message more, more understanding to people and so you maybe take away some truth or you add different truths to it? John says, you don't need to do that. Now, here's the challenge for us and why it's a closed system. Could you please get the message straight? Don't add or take away from the message. And I think over history and over our lives, what we have done is we've added or taken away from Jesus' message. Haven't we, church? And what John says is, that which we heard from the beginning. My job as pastor is a, is a pretty fun one. Um, many people think of a pastor, this analogy has been used. If it hasn't been used, let me introduce you to this false analogy and I'll give you my edited analogy. Sermons or pastoring is kind of like a chef who prepares a meal and then brings it to you and like, oh, do you like it? Do you, do you think this tastes good? Are you nourished by it? That's thinking far too highly of myself. If I gave you theology based upon my creativity and my cooking, you would get food poisoning from it. I'm more like the, the server <laughs> whose job it is to take from the head chef Set it on your table and have you eat it. And my job is not to spill it on the ground as it gets to you. That's my job. My job is to bring the truths of Jesus Christ to you and not add to it or take away. If you're in the restaurant business, uh, this is actually something, I'll, I'll tell you something else about it is offensive to me. If you're coming to my house for Thanksgiving, don't add salt to my food when I put it in front of you. Like, that's just wildly offensive. Like, before you taste it, you're like, I know this is going to taste like, mm, I need to put some of this on. Like, just wait a second. Try it. Why do we do that with Jesus? Why do we add things onto his message thinking it's better? Why do we take things from his message thinking it's better? We shouldn't because it's closed and it's good. Church, it's good. If you're here with us today and you're not, un, you're not completely satisfied, you're not completely sure that this Jesus is good, if God is true, I, I want to give you a couple of, of tests for you to understand. 
I want to I give you an understanding because I've said I, you can't be argued into faith. And so I don't, I don't want to ever argue to you. I don't want to ever give you evidences. I don't want to coerce you into faith. That's completely unloving. But I do want to give you some evidences. So maybe here's first evidence. Do you want it to be true and real? Do you want it to be true and real that God sent his son to die for you and whatever he says is good? Because if you don't want it to be true, what you're saying is, no, the life that I have is good. I'm fine. I don't need Jesus. You can, you can think that. You can say that. So the first evidence is this. Do you want it to be true? Do you want the message of the gospel to come into your life as true? The second thing, do you see Christ as a real person? Not just in Roman history, which is, again, chronicled and historical and all that's good and fine. But do you understand that God became man? It's the only faith that says that. It's the only one. It's completely unique to Christianity. Do you see that God became flesh? And then lastly, do you see Christ as God? That he wasn't just a good moral teacher. He wasn't just a good religious revolutionary. He wasn't just a good spiritual guru, but rather he was God incarnate and his every word is true for you and I. And it's not my job to dictate if his words are true. It's my job to obey those words. It's my job to follow the king, but only after you want a king that's different than the king that you have. And only after you see him as a person that interacts with you, not a distant foreign God to you. Knowledge of God is open. It's not selective based upon your goodness. It's artistic in that you must know something and you must act upon it. You must have a changed life to say you know it. And then lastly, it's closed because he expresses truth about himself. We don't tell him how he is true. He tells us how he is true. And that is how you have joy. If you know that you can have this God because it's open, if you know that it's based upon a changed life, not just upon believing a stance, and if you know that it's not your creativity that creates a God, but rather a, a knowledge of God coming to you, ah, you can have joy in that. You can be free in that. You can rest in that. You can be assured of that, church. Are you assured today by it? Pray that you are. Pray with me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.